Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you. It's like you know how much it hurts. <laughs> uh, okay. Whew, moving quickly along. Um, uh, how's it going, everybody? <laughs> Good. Well, uh, I've got, got a lot to cover in a short time. I'm going to try to try to hit it as quick as I can. Um, uh, so I, I will take my time. I will. Um, so how many of you heard the message I gave at the beginning of the year about the vision that I had for a month? Okay, how many of you did not have that or were not paying enough attention to remember it by that short description? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> no hand raises on that one. Makes sense. Um, so I, I'm going to try to tell the story very short. I, I, you know, I, I don't like t- you know, telling someone to listen to a message that you did previously. It feels like, like, I know this isn't, but it feels like the most arrogant thing in the world to me. But I do recommend that you... Um, uh, check out th- this message that I shared er- early in, in the year because, uh, not because I think it's the greatest message in the universe, but because um, the way the Lord showed this to me was, was really uh, heavy on me. And, and I feel like it's something that he wants us to carry very heavily in our, in our environment. A, a brief summary is that for the whole month of December, every single day, I, I had this vision. And it was a similar vision every time, but slight, slightly different. And Again, the, the quick shotgun version of it was every single time I saw this mountain that I knew represented the kingdom of God and this pathway leading to this, to this mountain. And, um, and I saw people walking along this, this pathway. And as we were walking along this pathway all together, we'd come to person after person who was, who was along this path. And these people had this kind of rap sheet on their, on their back, and it was this piece of paper that had everything wrong that they had, they had ever done, just listed out in plain black and white ink, just pop, 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 right, right down the back. Anyone ever feel like that sometimes? But, um, and the reaction was, was different, and, and not only was it listed out as in, in the factual sense, as soon as I would look at that sheet of paper, I could tell exactly what kind of person they were, and I could see and feel their, their, their good aspects, their flawed aspects, and, and kind of everything went along with it. And so as we walked by, I noticed different people responding in different ways. Some people kind of would talk with a person for a second and then just kind of continue on, like, hey, we're going too slow. Let's, let's just continue on to the kingdom. We're going towards the kingdom. Let's just keep going. You know, I saw some people come up and grab the person and kind of try to give them advice. But I could tell that it wasn't just, it was just their opinion or their idea or their thought. And that caused them to kind of lean this way off the path into one direction. And then I saw another person come by and it would kind of like almost uh, enable that person. Like, oh, it's fine. You're fine. You're exactly great the way you are. And that would lead them off the path in this other direction. Saw some people come by and just shout at the person, just uh, you know, just just kind of let them have what they had coming. As far as and some of the, you don't have time to go into all of it, but some of the people had stuff on their on their rap sheet that was worth yelling about. You know, it was it was stuff that'd be hard to hard to tolerate in someone. And then I saw uh, 
Jesus come by to each person. He took his time and he was slow and he walked way slower than made sense to me with each person. And at the end of each vision every day when I saw a different person that he was stopping with um, every single day, when I would ask about these different kinds of responses to these people, he, you know, I was asking about the people who were trying to guide them on the right path, either through their, their aggression or their correction or whatever else, and he would just say, you know, I'm, I'm the way. And then I would think about the people who were just saying it like it is, just kind of, you know, shouting at the person saying, you did this, you did this, you did this. Everything they said was factual, but it didn't do anything to improve that person's walk. And I heard Jesus say, I'm the truth. And I just saw him slowing down and walking with these people one by one. And I saw the people that decided to walk at the pace that Jesus was walking and the people who weren't willing to, to walk that slow. And he said, I am, I am the life. And so this, this uh, happened every single day. And the last day when I was uh, set to preach, when I was in worship, uh, I saw the vision one more time, except this time I was the person walking down the path and I was the person with the rap sheet on my back that was uh, incredibly accurate. And uh, I saw all of, all of uh, y'all, as they say in these parts, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, walking, walking, walking with me and around me. Um, and so that's just a brief summary. Again, I do encourage you listening to the messages because there was some there were some specific things I felt like were were meant to be highlighted in for our environment. I would push just a little bit harder in saying that if this is this is your home church and and you you feel called to be part of this family, I'd, I'd ask you to to listen to that just because I think it's not not because I said it, but because I think that was something that God was saying to us, if that makes sense. And when God says something repeatedly like that, or when he takes a whole month to say something. It's because he wants us to slow down and pay attention, you know. And so I'm just in, inviting you all into that to, together. Um, but I wanted to just kind of dig into that. And I, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about this particular message because, uh, not because it's particularly challenging, but because it's a little bit complex. And we dislike complexity. Uh, we prefer things to be simple. You know, we want our bad guys to have mustaches that they twirl as they, as they cackle. You know, we want our good guys to be perfect and heroic and charming and, you know, uh, excellent dancers. And, you know, I don't, uh, I'm going to end before I get something more weird with that. But that's, <laughs> just what a curse in that moment. We, we prefer simplicity. We, we, want, we want cut and dry. We want yes or no. We want, we want uh, everything like that. And. That's just not the way that the Lord decided to create the world to be. So um, we're going to engage in some complexity for a little bit. Is that okay? <laughs> All right. We will use one of the simplest little passages of Scripture to, to do that. So if you would turn with me to Luke 19. If you, have been, uh, if you were in church for more than five minutes as a child, I imagine that you ran into this story. Uh, this is the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Anyone ever heard this one before? Okay, if you have not, we're going to read the whole thing because it's just a, just a handful of verses. Um, uh, so I, I grew up in church, you know, and so I, I, I have that uh, strong version of that lens of hearing, hearing certain stories a lot as a child. Zacchaeus is one of them. The story of Jonah, I heard a lot of that one with the uh, twist ending cut off. Uh, great way to ruin the whole story if you ask me, but there's also a podcast about that that I did some time ago, but... At any rate, uh, Zacchaeus is one of those ones, and I personally have, have made a habit in, late, in my later life to, 
I've been a lifelong student of, of the Bible, but going back and kind of very carefully removing some of my, len my historical lenses when, especially reviewing stories that I've heard a whole lot as a kid, because sometimes when we have a lens for a particular story, we've heard it that way so many times before. We, we start hearing it through a certain funnel, through a certain lens, not necessarily even a wrong lens, just a specific one, when again, oftentimes things are more complicated or complex than just that one uh, interpretation, just that one application for a particular scripture. Make sense? Yeah. Cool. So we're just going to dive through this, uh, this verse uh, right here. So it's conveniently right at, be right at the beginning of the chapter. So Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was unable due to the crowd because he was short in stature. It's a polite way to say it, I think. Um, better than the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. <laughs> yep, harsh. Anyway, um, uh, let me see. Unable to do the crowd because he was a short in stature. <laughs> Doesn't quite rhyme as well in a song. Anyway, short in stature was he? Anyway, so, so he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree in order to see him because he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. When the people saw this, they all began to complain, saying, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Sorry, there's an exclamation point in my version. Um, but Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my possessions I am giving to the poor. And if I have extorted anything from anyone or stolen in some versions, I am giving back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That which was lost. It's a great story, yeah? A lot of, uh, a lot of uh, versions will you know, kind of title this little section as like the, the conversion of Zacchaeus or uh, Zacchaeus' salvation or something like that. And... Again, just to, just to kind of exercise our muscle of approaching these from different angles for, for a second, this is kind of an interesting story to look at and to kind of look at the broader context a bit. So just a couple things. First of all, the, the cultural significance of being a tax collector, you've probably heard taught a little bit at different points. But as you can tell, if you, this is a very short story. It's actually a fun one to study, especially if you want to study scripture from a literary perspective as far as what, parts of the, what details does the, is, are revealed at certain points and which ones are highlighted, which ones are said multiple times, how are things arranged. It's a, and because it's a, such a short story, it's fun to dig through. But it's, you don't really get any hint uh, if you're just coming at the text uh, completely new that Zacchaeus would have been stealing until he confesses like, oh, if, I, if I've ever stolen from anyone, I'll give them back four times. Well, that's because the cultural understanding of a tax collector at, tax collector at that time was uh, almost like a euphemism for a thief or, or an extorter, specifically someone who's forcing someone to give money. 
Um, quickly, uh, summary. So they had two kinds of taxes in this time. There was the religious tax, which is, would have been culturally normal, kind of like a tithe, where this amount of what you have goes to the church, goes to the religious organizations of the day. And then also you had the Romans who were occupying Israel during that time. And they had a certain tax that they were taking you know, in their words, for building all these lovely roads and, and uh, having this police force that was helping people out, but in the experience of people there at the time so that they could control and suppress the environment, depends on who you ask. Um, and so these tax collectors would very commonly, they were kind of like free agents a little bit of like, hey, as long as you get to us what we have on our sheet, anything that you uh, took extra is kind of your commission if you wanna, if you wanna look at it that way. And so these tax collectors were notorious for upcharging and adding uh, transaction fees and exciting things like that <laughs> to, to uh, these, these things. And they were also responsible for reporting any delinquency and so they would like get you in trouble with the big guys. So they had a real threat that they could throw at you if they, you didn't pay up. Now, again, just, just for a moment, just to get into the right headspace. This is something that's hard for us to think because I've heard preachers say, it's like, oh, it's the IRS man. It's like, no, it's not like that. Imagine, pick whatever foreign power you have decided to uh, be afraid of today that has uh, taken over your country, is in charge of your country and is charging taxes on you in addition to what your normal like state taxes are. Imagine that, imagine occupied and they're the, they're the new police force and they're uh, deciding how things are run. And um, imagine then that one of your own people, someone from your, like they would pick someone who is from that city. And so these are small cities where everybody knew everybody. And so they picked someone from that city to do that. So this is someone that you likely know who is now working for these people to uh, exhort money and taking taken a cut in this whole process. Not only is that like an annoying thing, that's like, oh, this is like deeply personal and cutting. Like you can understand how uh, the different layers of frustrating this would be and, and hurtful it would be and why these kinds of people were thought of as bad. Does that, does that make sense? Okay, so tax collector, uh, presumed villain, if you will, mustache and everything. Um, and so now stepping a little bit further, this, we don't have time to dive into this real, real deep, but this, uh, <clears throat> this story is part of a progression where Luke is kind of in, intentionally, a lot, of, a lot of scholars look at this, he's kind of intentionally mirroring, because this is after Jesus has said, I'm, I'm heading to Jerusalem. So this is kind of the, the final push to, to his purpose on the earth in this particular time. So he is, kind of made this switch of I'm doing ministry to I am now on my way to Jerusalem. And there is a kind of a finality that Jesus has set up. He's uh, predicted his death ag uh, again right before coming to this. So this is kind of in that sort of timeline. And so uh, a lot of um, scholars have noted, particularly in Luke, a, a mirroring of the journey of the children of Israel into the promised land with, with Jesus doing this. It's almost this picture of this, this echo of phase one of God sending his kingdom to go into the earth was, was the Israelites going into Canaan and, and taking it for the kingdom. Phase two, or his, his redemptive ark, was then sending Jesus to bring the kingdom of God to this land, to, to enact, to inaugurate, if you will, the kingdom of God. 
And so it makes sense then, and maybe would quickly echo another uh, popular children's story, that Jesus was coming through Jericho. Yeah? yeah? It's the beginning of the story. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And it's considered to be an intentional echo that the first time the Israelites came into the promised land, a good portion of people were scared of giants that were in the area. The second time, it was a small little man <laughs> that was there. It's intentional, intentional echoing to say, hey, this is, a, this is a, a, another um, kingdom being enacted, but it's different than the one that's happening before. Beforehand, there was a battle and the walls came down. It was a supernatural solution, but the walls came down. Both times, an individual is, a, a, a culturally hated individual is the kind of center of the story. There was the, the prostitute that uh, held down a rope and was the one, one person who survived from Jericho. You guys remember this story? So you have a prostitute in the old story and you have a tax collector in the new story. Two of the most kind of naturally, co culturally uh, devalued people in, in either culture. Again, it's meant to echo one another. And so is this picture of God's, here's what the kingdom looks like now. Now, we have kind of three characters, if you will, in this little story. We have Jesus, uh, my favorite character. Then we have uh, Zacchaeus, who's, who's uh, the person who changes the most in this, in this story. And then you have this other kind of uh, amorphous character, the crowd, the crowd. You have the crowd that's there. And in this story, the, the emphasis is on Zacchaeus because he has, uh, I think, if you kind of break this story down, he has about, I think it's 10 to 12 different verbs that apply to him, so actions that, that he takes. And the crowd only has one, which is complaining or grumbling, depending on, on what you're looking at, which version you have there. Again, a mirror of some of the process that the Israelites are going through during the uh, move into the promised land, again, echoing these things together. Um, and then you have what's kind of the, the key moment here, and this is the one I wanna kind of soak in for a second. Um, because the story, <laughs> we, the way I'm, we kind of hear this story, the way we, if we put this in a modern church context, the story would be Jesus went and had dinner with Zacchaeus. Jesus very carefully laid out his theology and how uh, Zacchaeus was doing was, was very wrong and how it was morally, you know, uh, bereft. And then after being cor corrected by Jesus's deep wisdom and wonderful understanding, then Zacchaeus decided, you know what, I really should repent and uh, change my ways and give all this money back to people. But that's not the story. Right? Automatically, by being in his presence, Zacchaeus' heart changes. Zacchaeus, before Jesus could even get around to whether he was going to correct him or not or anything, he immediately is responding to I'm changing my ways in, the, in an aggressive way. I'm going to not only give back what I stole, but time is four. Um, and I'm going, I'm going to change my ways, and I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. Again, just I'm completely and ch utterly changing. Um, and I think this is a very, very important, because that, that vision that I had um, started, that vision that I had for a month long started with the Lord saying to me, 
do you want to see what your harvest looks like? And I want you to know, I think it's important for us to understand that this is what harvest is going to look like. And now, but again, there's a couple different elements. Um, another uh, Bible teacher that I was reading said something I think is very helpful. Um, when reading a parable or, or, a, or, a, or a story like this that is um, kind of an insulated story, has like a kind of easy to hold on to beginning, middle, and end, it is helpful and likely to give you the most well-rounded perspective to put yourself in the shoes of every character in the story because the way that Jesus taught, you're meant to learn something from every perspective. Now, chances are that there's one that maybe fits you the most naturally or feels the most true to you, or I feel, let's take a really easy example, like the prodigal son, like some of you might feel like the prodigal son, and so you naturally find yourself in that role. But reality is, and this is where the complexity I was talking about starts to come in, is that you are the prodigal son, no matter what your story is. You're also the older brother, no matter what your story is. You're also the loving father, no matter what your story is. You may not be that person every moment of every day, but you have been that person at one moment, or you will be that person for somebody at some point. And we need to learn this from every point because sometimes our mindset is so locked into I am this or I am that, that we can unknowingly contribute to some of the negative characteristics of some of these characters in this, in this story. We can, we can repeat those things if we don't learn it from a three-dimensional perspective. Um, so let's just do that here for a second. Um, so you're Zacchaeus. You are someone who feels rejected by your community, who feels unaccepted, who feels like you, uh, you know, like people don't care about you, people don't value you, people resent you, or things like that. I'm sure some of all of us have felt that way at some point or another. Um, you are encountering Jesus. You are seeing him, and and in the middle of that, you receive a, a moment of revelation. Something changes inside of you. Now, what's ironic in here is the crowd does give feedback. So it says, uh, this is verse seven, uh, all the people saw this. So they saw that Jesus has said, I'm going to your house tonight. And how excited that uh, Zacchaeus is. Now they get upset because all the people saw this and began to mutter or grumble or complain, depending on which version you have. And it says, he has gone to, the, to be the guest of a sinner. It was right after this that Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here I now give half of my possessions to the poor. He did receive some feedback from the crowd. Was that well-presented feedback? Was it kind of passive-aggressive feedback? Yes, I think so. It's like, oh, there's, they're complaining about Jesus is what they're complaining about um, and throwing Zacchaeus under the bus in the, in the process. Um, and so, but when you've truly been transformed by the presence of God, even when feedback doesn't come the right way, you still recognize the part that you own, which is what Zacchaeus did. He recognized this is the part that I own. Yes, I could correct the way this feedback is coming. Yes, I could list all these things. Instead, he just said what he was going to do. Zacchaeus is actually the, the hero of this little story in the sense that he's the main character because he, you know, Jesus is the hero of the universe, but... Jesus politely invited Zacchaeus to be the hero of this story because, uh, again, he is the one who is acting. He is, I, can't, I need to go see Jesus. I can't see Jesus, so I'm doing something to get myself in a position where I can see Jesus. 
And in that, I am seen by Jesus, and I am joyfully responding to him, responding to his grace, and action, 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 action. He is responding and reacting and acting to, with this grace, to, to the grace that's on Jesus' life. Where's Zacchaeus? Now, some of us probably don't feel like the super big rich person. Um, I know that I don't, but again, this is where we need to adjust our mindset. This is a quick shot in this direction, but if, if, you, if your household makes more than $20,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of wealth in the entire world. To somebody, you're a very rich person. <laughs> to somebody, you're, ex- you're, you're inconceivably wealthy. To, to someone, you're someone who it seems like it would be unjust that you would receive the grace of God because you already have so much. <laughs> we don't feel that way. <laughs> of course we don't, but we are to somebody. <laughs> and if you've, if you've ever had friends who are, who are very wealthy or, or millionaires, sometimes they're the, we've all heard this story, like sometimes they're the saddest or the most, feel the most financially squeezed. Why? Because they're in their own story. It'd be easy for me to look at their story and think, well, gosh, if I had X, if I had Y, and maybe that would be true that things would be easier, but also they're a real person who's in their own story, you know? Now, again, just like Zacchaeus, doesn't mean what they were doing is okay or right or wrong. That's, that's not the point. The point is that there's a human being on all sides of this story. We can also be the crowd who is seeing Jesus have grace on someone who is repugnant to us. Who does, who does not seem like they deserve it, doesn't seem like they have earned it, doesn't seem, seems like, in fact, this person has uniquely uh, aligned themselves with the enemy of God. I mean, this would be the viewpoint, because, again, the Israelites are God's chosen people, so this conquering nation, like Babylon and, and the Assyrians and other had in the past, have taken over this, this area, so this guy is financially and practically partnering with the enemies of God, and this is the person that Jesus is going to have dinner with? That is so offensive. That is deeply offensive. How do we respond to God's grace when it shows up in the people that we are offended by? Put whoever in that slot, put whatever group, whatever political leaning, whatever individual, whatever circumstance, whatever situation. How do we respond to God's grace identifying and, and connecting with and showing favor upon that person. We can be the crowd. Also, one of the wild pieces of the gospel is we can be Jesus in this story. Not in the sense that we're going to the cross to save the world, he took care of that already. But again, the word Christian means little Christ and so we are representatives of his kingdom and so when we walk into a situation, walk into a city, walk into a culture, we have the opportunity to respond the way that he did to see what the Father is doing and act accordingly. Yeah. And so again, these are, it, you can see these stories in, in multidimensionality and it's, it's important that we do because again, we need to remember that we are only seeing the world from one perspective, which is our own. And even in those moments where we see from someone else's perspective or see from another angle, we're only seeing through our perspective via what we hear about that other person's angle. And these, these stories are, are because, and the only reason I, I wanna identify that is I don't want any of us missing out 
on what God has made available through our story, through, through our moments, through our journey. It would have been the easiest thing in the world to, for Zacchaeus to be so offended at the way the crowd reacted. Come on, Jesus, we're out of here. You know, I don't know why I went arm in arm with him. I assume, I assume that's how it went, but come on, Jesus, we're out of here would have been a fair, fair response, you know, but, but his, he was not measuring his response based on what the crowd was doing or how accurate or good or thoughtful or, or aligned with Jesus' grace their reaction was. He was reacting to Jesus. That's, the be- that's, one, of the, that's one of the reasons Zacchaeus is one of my heroes because everything he does in this story is responding to Jesus. It's Jesus is here. I'm going to find him. I can't see him. Where's a tree? Let me plan ahead and get up here and look, see where we're going. Okay, I am now seeing who this Jesus is. That means half my money goes to the poor and, ha- and this, this. Also, I don't know if you know this. This is like just a few verses after the rich man in the kingdom of God story. It's like the following, it's the middle of the previous chapter that that story happens. It's funny. There's like all this mystery around like, oh, what does it mean to go through Avenue? What does it mean for a rich man? It's like the answer is like, a handful of verses afterwards with the Zacchaeus story. But anyway, side note. Um, the, uh, <coughs> and this is something we, we need to do for, we can do this with any piece of story. The, the story that Jen shared earlier, the man at the Gadareans who was so traumatized and, and harmed and so under the attack of the enemy that he was in a cave cutting himself. His, he, he was, he'd become so repugnant to his environment that they had locked him away because they were scared of him. Again, we can step into the city that was, we've had people in our lives that are scary, that, that are unhealthy, that are, that are destructive and damaging, and that with boundaries of whatever kind, we need to put out of our, of our environment, out of our space for, for safety, for, for reasons that are uh, understandable. We have all been hurt so bad in certain areas that it has caused us to react unhealthily, either harming ourselves or harming others. We have all been under the attack of the enemy. We've been that man who's, who's chained up, who's shut out of other people's lives because we've caused harm and, and pain. And again, we have the opportunity to be, and we have the opportunity to receive from Jesus who had an appointment, who had a specific time to show up in this person's life and wipe away the, the kingdom of darkness that the enemy had built up through whatever pain, whatever, whatever suffering, whatever trauma, whatever situation had led to that man being in so much pain and for him to be reaccepted in his environment. And actually, don't have time to get into it, but Jesus comes back to that city later, and the implication is that that man had become an evangelist to that city, and that city welcomed Jesus greatly because they had heard of his great deeds with this, with this man. And so not only is part of the story being healed of that trauma, but actually being reintegrated into that community that had maybe even rightly rejected him and, and pushed him out. And so, again... It's fun to read these stories in three dimensions if you uh, keep, keep looking at them and thinking about and put them, put yourself in these different shoes. And again, I say all that to, to go back to this, this vision because I was both completely not surprised and also surprised when after 30 days of seeing 30 different people with 30 different stories walking along this path day after day after day, that right about right before I'm about to share this, that vision with, with you guys, um, that the Lord shows uh, me walking down that path and me being in that position of, of need from a community, of, of need uh, from him, of, of 
needing for someone to walk really, really slowly with me. And I, I want to invite you guys. I, I feel like part of embracing what the Lord was telling us with, with that word and part of continuing to embrace a deeper, a richer, a more complex understanding of what the kingdom of God coming to earth looks like requires that we both own our own story, realize where we are at, and start to open our mind and heart to understanding other people's stories and where they are at. Now that's hard. It is hard because we are firmly and, and of course normally rooted into our story. We are in our moment. We are experiencing what we are experiencing. But if we can if we find ourselves being the per, being the crowd saying like, you know, ah, Jesus is hanging out with a sinner. Does he, why is he elevating? Why is he honoring that person when they do this, this, and this wrong? When they do all this wrong, when they, when they make this mistake? You know, it's, I find most often that when we have any sort of accusational voice towards other people, it is 99.9% it is .9 of the time the very same voice that we speak to ourselves with. <laughs> I believe it's one of the reasons that Jesus attaches our ability to love other people to our ability to love ourselves. Love others the way you love yourself. I think it's both an, it's both an assignment and also an, a, a highlight of reality. <laughs> that that if, it, whatever, uh, if it's a great way to kind of check where you're at in your story is if I am putting this requirement, if I am accusing this person, if I am uh, angry at this person, a lot of times that is the voice that I'm speaking to myself with. And that doesn't mean, just to be clear, it's, it's a three-dimensional story. That, mean, that doesn't mean that person isn't making a mistake, doesn't have responsibility, doesn't have messes they need to clean up or, or, or whatever else. It just means that you always own part of the story, even if you're just part of the crowd, even if it's, even if it's just happening at a distance. And it's, um, I find that those of us who can own our part of the story often have the most authority to impact the wider story that happens around us. And now, thank you. Because um, again, we've all been these characters at different points. We have all uh, been uh, bothered when Jesus shines his grace on this person. One of the challenges that I think, I just have a minute left to hit this, but um, one of the big challenges that those of us who grew up in church learned that I, I think we do need to break off of ourselves is we, know, we think we know how we should think. We, we think we know this is the way I should respond. I talked about this a while ago. I'm supposed to be forgiving. And so therefore I'm not allowed to be upset or mad or feel a sense of injustice. And so I will, uh, I will, I will uh, suppress my feelings and call it forgiving. <sighs> Which is a wonderful recipe for bitterness. <laughs> um, <laughs> another thing we're not supposed to do, so when we get around to bitterness, it's all my fault because I'm like, oh, now I've gotten bitter and it's, uh, and again, it's, but it's, we can, and then we often, we either go one of two ways when we get to that bitterness stage. Either we self-blame and say, oh, I've let myself get this way. I just haven't forgiven. What's wrong with me? I'm such a horrible person. Bah. Or we go the other extreme and say, well, turns out they are evil. And look at that. They just grew a mustache and they are twirling it right now. <laughs> I knew it. 
I see a prophetic sign of this mustache upon you. <laughs> and I just realized my discernment just went up finally to the point that I can see that mustache on your face. Um, <laughs> we laugh, but some of us, yeah. Um, and it's because we live in a, sto- in, in, a, in a world where God gave everyone a story. And we are the villain of someone's story sometimes. And accepting that and realizing that and realizing that, that I've been the villain in someone else's story is part of how we heal, is part of how we grow, is part of how we gain compassion for others. It's how we start to gain compassion for the, some of the villains in our life of realizing like, oh, I have been that. I have done that. I have responded that way. I can't, I, I, one of the stories I've studied the most is the prodigal son just because it's one I, I wanted to, you know, I, I felt like I got studied into such a straight lens with that where I had to like uh, get my way out of that. But like, oh man, I've had to revisit that brother so many times of being the person who is in the church upset. This kind of similar story to Zacchaeus, upset that God is giving grace to this person, upset that God is not walking this person, you know, through our, our healing discipleship program before putting that ring on their finger. You know, that, that, that they haven't, you know, yet made sure they agreed to our five tenets of faith before giving them the robe, you know. And again... If we want to be a part of the harvest to the extent that I know every single person here does, part of it is own our own story so that we can accept the kind of people that God accepts and the way that he brings change to their lives. Our version, again, we still have this little piece of religion that says, yeah, you know, you're allowed to come, but once you follow this, 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 and this, that means you get to, you know, have this access or get to be a leader in this way or get to do this sort of thing. Jesus' plan was, hey, man at the Gadareans, let me do a gnarly deliverance and then send you as a, as a evangelist, as a leader into that city right afterwards. Jesus' plan is, hello, fisherman who's never been educated, probably can't read, and maybe can do basic math. How about you are the rock that I build my church upon? <laughs> you know, how, how about you, also tax collector who has been stealing from people, why don't you become one of my most trusted disciples, and why don't you record the truth of what I do while we're going around doing this? This is Jesus' harvest, his discipleship plan, his leadership plan. It doesn't mean that there isn't change, that there isn't growth, that there isn't a need for maturity. Jesus corrected his disciples more than anybody else, the disciples and the the religious leaders. But he built a connection. He built an acceptance. He built a, a relationship that had room to actually have that influence. And I think essential for both of us. He, he knew, again, we don't have time to get into all of this, but if you really look at the way that Jesus led he stood in his humanity, the humanity that he had put upon his, his divinity, that he had decided to, to be in, and he led from that place, you know? And again, it's because he didn't want to just be the Messiah. He also wanted to be an example of what it was to, to be a member of that family, the family that we were being adopted into through, through his blood. And so uh, if you would just stand up real quick, let me crash this helicopter real fast. <laughs> um, I, I find you got to be careful with this one because it can go into this, it, it can tempt its way into that self-blame mindset that so many of us have, that so many of us have. 
But I find that the first step to capturing this is often learning how to own where we're at in our story. That, hey, maybe I used to be that, that prodigal son, and now I'm more like that older brother, you know. Uh, or, or, or now God is inviting me to be to be that, that loving father, that, that father who now, wow, I get to give what was given to me. And wow, that's scarier than I thought it was going to be. Wow, that has more emotional baggage than I thought it was. Wow, uh, it hurts to take that ring off and put it on his hand when, I know, when they just rejected me, you know. And getting to walk through, this is where I am in my story. Again, I don't, you don't go in that self-blame side. You go on that, Lord, teach me where I'm at right now. Teach me. Let let me have a conversation with you about what you're teaching me right now. And let that be the leader. Let that be the voice. Let that be the thing that gives me direction. Because again, my favorite part of this whole story is that everything that Zacchaeus did was following Jesus. It's finding and following Jesus. And his is one of the most most pure, most beautiful stories of conversion in, in all of scripture. And so if you would just close your eyes and put your hands out in front of you. Lord, we just acknowledge today that we have, that we have this, this impulse to simplify situations, to simplify circumstances, to want to see things as black and white, to want to see things just as right and wrong, as in this person's wrong, this person's right, and, and all that. And we just acknowledge right now, we, we step into humility and recognize that you have created people more complex than that, that you have created everyone with a story, and that you are engaged in the story of every human being on this planet right now, whether it looks like it to us or not. And we just, again, just step into that humble place where you are, you are the, the, the master of their story. You are the master of their legacy. You are the master of justice in their life, justice in the world, and justice in, in my story. And so right now, Lord, we just want to just continue to step into this journey of being discipled by you, of following you, of, of letting what determines our response not be the way the crowd responds, the, the, the way our history has spoken to us, the, uh, or anything other than responding to Jesus, responding to his grace. We just acknowledge that, that, that there, are, there are emotions that we have suppressed because we feel like we... we, we we're taught that you're not supposed to feel them. We acknowledge that we were told you have to forgive and we have interpreted that as you're not allowed to feel pain, you're not allowed to feel resentment, you're not allowed to be hurt by something. And we just recognize that as a lie. We, we acknowledge that we were taught that fear is the sign of poor character when in reality it is the natural response to certain reality, to certain situations. And that we, when we experience fear, we don't need stronger character. We need a deeper relationship with the comforter. With, with, with the, and that none of us is any lesser for needing that. That we are designed to need that. We are designed to need the gospel, to need his grace, to need his clarity. And we, and we just repent for any area that we've judged someone else's journey with fear, judged someone else's journey with, with, um, with judgment, with grace, with, with any of these things, Lord, that we... That we, that we would be rooted firmly in our story, Lord, the story that you are writing for us. 
And again, the last thing I just pray is for, especially for all of us who have a long history with the scripture, Lord. I just pray, just as a, as a side blessing while we're here, <laughs> that our, our relationship with, with your, the, the history of your relationship with man that you've, you've given us, the, 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 the story of, of, of your word, of your history, of your um, redemption of mankind, that we'd have a renewed three-dimensional relationship with it. Any of us for whom our relationship with the word has grown stale, that it would come alive again, that it would wake up again, that it would become fresh. For those of us who have been seeing the word through one lens and through one way, that we would begin to see it other ways, other perspectives, other ways, seeing the richness, the depth, the glory, and the beauty of what you've put in there for us. We just release all of that to every single one of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.